podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Money Talks. I am your host, but I will introduce you to who sure it is, and that is Mo. How are you doing, Mo? Yeah, really good. Very, very good. Glad the transfer window is over at last. Um, yeah. Stop talking about that and getting into arguments and all sorts. Yeah. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Eddie dropped this on my plate as soon as I woke up, so that's, that's a good way of waking up. But you have you have thankfully helped me with... Uh, what questions to ask and stuff like that, because I am a bit of an idiot when it comes to this stuff, but I am here to host, not to give my opinion. But thankfully, you have sorted me out there, more. Absolutely, a pleasure. Yeah, lots, lots of stuff to discuss. Absolutely. Um, but we are here to talk about the transfer window, and we obviously ended the window with a net spend of about six mil, um, if you factor in the loan fees. And you look at some of our rivals in the league, and they've spent well hundreds of millions. Nottingham Forest have spent basically seven hundred bazillion pound. Um, and people again in the fan base are looking at FSG and whether whether it's too tight in it with the purse strings and stuff like that. What, what do you, what do you make of them accusations? Yeah. So right. I mean, at the start of the window, I put out a thread on Twitter short thread by my standards and uh, also talked about it on Monday Talks to explain that, look, you know, we had finished a season in which we would have generated a record amount of turnover revenue. Um, you know, we made it to the final of the Champions League, top two of the Premier League. Um, commercial revenue would have been its highest ever. Um, we had the fans back in stadiums, so match day revenue would have been its highest ever, given that we played, I think, 30 games at home. Um, so, you know, I, I estimate we would have made around 580 million. It may well have been slightly more than that. Um, but either way, um, you know, turnover the likes of which Liverpool has never seen and, you know, world football has hardly seen, you know, there's very, very few clubs that have generated that amount of money. Um, so on that basis, I was saying, look, you know, we've not spent much over the last, you know, well, since 2018. And uh, we've generated all this money. Um, and yes, we've got the uh, Anfield Road End expansion underway, but you know we, we took care of some borrowing to fund that. So that shouldn't impact on our ability to spend in the transfer window. We definitely shouldn't need to sell in order to buy. Um, and so I, I was expecting us to spend significant amounts. And uh, had it not been for one killing Mbappe, ruining things by... Um, changing his mind about joining Real Madrid, then we would have spent the biggest amount of money in the transfer window since 2018, 
when we would have signed um, Chirmeni, um from Monaco, what, some three, four months ago. You know, that deal was very close to being done. You know, he was committed to joining Liverpool uh, until Real Madrid, who missed out on Kylian Mbappe, who changed his mind and decided to stay at PSG. Madrid then said, OK, well, we've got all this money to spend. What, who can we spend it on? And they decided of all players to spend it on too many and, um, you know, splashed out a huge amount um, on the fee uh, to Monaco um, and also on the player as well. So, you know, that, that was disappointing. And uh, had that not happened, you know, we would have had two marquee signings in the window, too many in Nunes, um, with Carvalho also coming in alongside uh, Ramsey. And, you know, we all would have been very happy with that business and, you know, all of the arguments for the remainder of the summer um, would largely not have occurred. Um, but nonetheless, that deal didn't go through and we clearly didn't then turn to an alternative that Klopp is happy with and get that player over the line. Um, we all know, you know, it's not exactly a secret that, you know, Jude Bellingham is also, and is also on our radar. And, you know, despite efforts to perhaps get him in this summer, um, it was highly unlikely to happen, and you know, so it proved. So, you know, we, we ended up spending less than we were expecting, and, you know, fans then thought, oh, well, look, you know, the amount we've spent is almost the same as the amount that we brought in from sales, you know, the likes of Sadio Mane and others being moved on. Um, so it means that it proves that FSG are tight and, you know, we're carrying on selling to buy and, you know, all, all this stuff. And, I don't think that's fair. I think it's just um, a situation whereby, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp was very specific about who he wanted and when we couldn't bring those one or two or three players in, um, he wasn't really happy on other alternatives were, you know, put forward in front of him. And so if, if there's anyone that you want to point the finger at, I would say it's Jurgen rather than the owners um as perhaps we'll talk about late later um you know Jürgen made some interesting comments as well um about that so you know there there are perhaps two sides of the argument but i don't think it, in overall terms it is fair to say on this occasion fsg were being tight because they were happy to sanction a very big significant outlay on too many at the start of the window and this by the way was a deal um, that was very far advanced at exactly the same time as the Nunes one. So again, there was talk about, well, you know, if we signed too many, we wouldn't have signed Nunes. I, I completely disagree. Um, mm. All the evidence suggests that we were lining up both to come in at exactly the same time, pretty much, um, to join us at the start of pre-season, to have a full pre-season under clock, and then to start um, the season hitting the ground running all being well. Um, so it, it wasn't for me an either or, it was absolutely getting both in, getting, you know, the two youngsters in, in Ramsey and uh, Carvalho, and um, feeling that we had a really, really good, strong group um, to go into the season and hopefully go on better than last season and win um, Champions League and or the Premier League. Yeah, and Klopp himself said in, in the uh, embargo, a bit of a press conference, we got rejected by a midfielder, so that was obviously true of many, wasn't it? So, yeah, I think the plan yeah. was clearly both. Uh, 
But you, you mentioned Jude Bellingham there, and he, he seemed to become the, the target when the Chiumeni deal fell. Well, he, he changed his mind and went to Real Madrid after. Thank you, Mbappe, for that, by the way. Um, made the summer really fun. Um, but we know the money it would have took, taken to get Jude out of Dortmund. It's probably above 100 mil or 120 million euro, I think I've seen at times. Um, now, do you think we had the money for that type of deal? Because I think Chiumeni was about 50 to 60 mil, wasn't he? Whereas 120 mil would have been our biggest um, signing. I think it would have been the biggest for a, a British player or an English player. Um, now, how does that go into next summer? Because by all accounts, he'll be the target for next summer as well. And if his value goes up, because we know it's a World Cup year, and we know how the World Cup can spiral people's valuation or skyrocket people's valuation, I should say. Um, what do you make of that situation and, and how much... Do you think we can earmark for for that player? Well, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of speculation that you know Dortmund didn't want to sell two top top players in the same window. Um, everyone in their cap knew that Harlan was on his way to Man City and had known that for you know many months. Um, so there was no surprises when that deal was announced. Um, so after that, um, chances of pricing another key asset for Dortmund in the same window uh, were highly unlikely because that's generally how Dortmund don't operate is to sell on more than one key asset at a time. Um, and, you know, ultimately, as the million-dollar man Teddy Riassi once said, you know, everyone has a price and, you know, Bellingham has a price as well. And I think that Liverpool's view was perhaps that, look, um, to spend that much amount of money on the 19-year-old at this stage just doesn't seem good value. And um, they felt that you know next summer would be a better time to do the deal. Now, is that for budgetary reasons? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we would have set a budget for deals this summer. And as you noted, you know, we would have been expecting to spend 50 to 60 on um, Chiumeni, whereas Jude would have cost pretty much double that. So... You know, does that mean that we wouldn't have been able to afford it had that been possible this summer? Um, I don't think so. I, th- I think we we would still have been able to find a way. It would have had to. We would have had to stretch ourselves to make the deal happen. Um, but you know, clubs have many ways to make deals happen. And just as a, a very quick example of that, look at um, Nottingham Forest. As you noted earlier, you know that they signed that many players that you can hold two or three Royal Rumble simultaneously. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, they, they probably don't even know half their names when they turn up to um, uh, training on Monday. So, look, um, Nottingham Forest, where have they, they got all this money from? Very simple. They've borrowed money um, from funders and they know that they'll be getting probably 130, 140 million out of the Premier League in TV money this year. Now, they won't get that money now they'll get that through the season so they would have borrowed money from funders and they'll be able to repay that money um, as that money starts coming through from the Premier League Um, and then on top of that obviously they'll have other um, revenue streams such as um, match day revenue and other things and also bear in mind uh, even though their transfer spend for this window might have been I don't know 120, 130 million or whatever it was um, that all is payable straight away. 
um, most of those deals will be paid in instalments. So their actual um, outgoings for this year may have only had to be, uh, sorry, for, for this summer may have only had to be, say, uh, 40 million. And then the remainder will be paid over the next couple of years. So um, that that is how a club like that would have made that deal happen. So in the same way, if we needed to find an extra 50 or 60 million for a club the size of Liverpool with its turnover being what it is, it wouldn't have been any problem whatsoever to borrow the money um, and then to repay it back. Uh, but clearly, um, you know, the, the owners were prepared to do something like that. And uh, it may well have come down to the fact that, you know, to spend that kind of money would have taken us above the budget we had set. And um, so therefore the feeling was, let's wait till next year. And as you noted in the question, you know, if if uh, Jude has a very good summer, uh, sort of season even, has a strong World Cup, that valuation will surely increase. So my view is that part of the motivation behind waiting till next year, I feel that in the way that Haaland had a clause in his contract, mm -hmm. allowing him to go at a cut price deal um, in the summer of 2022, I feel that there's something similar in Jude Bellingham's contract for the summer of 23. Otherwise, you know, there's every possibility that if he's worth 100 million now, he might be worth 120, 130, 140 or more next summer if he has another good, strong season. So I, I, I believe that's me speculating. I believe that there's probably a clause in his contract and we felt that we can't justify spending 100, 100 to 120 now when he might be available for, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 million next season, next summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. That budget side as well. So, yeah, it, it, it's, again, one of those things. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen it before where if, if the club feels, if Klopp feels, you know, there's a specific player they want, they will sometimes wait um, to get that player in. Yeah, I'm going to go off script for a sec, but obviously if he goes to the open market like that, it, what what is our spending, I suppose it's wage power rather than spending power save, because we've seen links to Real Madrid and I'm sure the other English clubs will be involved. Would would that just be the main concern there? Because we know our, our wage um, structure, but Moore's on 350 with, with bonuses now, isn't he? I doubt we'd offer that to, to Jude, whereas Real Madrid and stuff like that probably would offer him that. Yeah, I mean, there is certainly the risk that, you know, not only Real Madrid, but even a Man City might yeah. come along and offer wages, which um, will be well in excess of our wage structure. And, you know, he'll only be 20 at the time, you know, come summer 23. So, you know, we typically don't offer 200,000 a week to a 19, 20-year-old. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we would perhaps even with a very significant transfer fee, still only start him on, I don't know, 120, 130, maybe 150 at most. Mm -hmm. But we do know that we do pay very significant bonuses. So when you factor those in, um, if he has a good season and Liverpool you know, has success, you know, his effective uh, weekly wage with bonuses factored in could be, you know, 250 to 300,000 a week, which is still very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I definitely wasn't earning that kind of money at that age and never will. Um, so, still time, more, <laughs> still time. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
so yeah, if it's for twenty year old, um, that that's pretty decent um, a chunk of change to be earning on a weekly basis. But yeah, he um, is certainly somebody I think that will be of significant interest to other clubs. The only thing is, if you think back to um, you know twenty seventeen, go. Thought that you know we really really wanted Virgil Van Dyke, mm-hmm. and we weren't really interested in others. And um, you know at that point he was the most sought after um, centre back probably in the world, and um, no other club really made a serious play for him. Um, even though there was speculation that uh, I think it was a Daily Mail that put an article that said um, you know they'd what you know City had won the race for. Van Dyke, only for it to be announced two or three days later that Liverpool had signed him. Um, so, you know, there, there will be some noise and there will be certain credible sources that we can believe and other less credible sources that, you know, we can easily ignore um, between now and next summer. Um, but until there's a, a signature on the dotted line um, from the player himself, um, you know, we, we certainly would be foolish to assume that he's ours. Um, so you know, we're obviously all hoping that you know he will come in, and if he does, you know he he could be a very integral part to um, our future over the next decade or more. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't think other clubs will just take it lightly unless you know he's let it be known that you know there's only one club he's interested in, and no matter what they offer him, he doesn't care. He's only interested in Liverpool. In which case. Um, you know, he, he might then, there might be very little noise about City or Real Madrid um, wanting to put in, you know, mega money offers to Dortmund and the player and, and his representatives. Uh, but yeah, let, let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, it should be, well, hopefully for us it, it gets done, or maybe a pre agreement or something for later in the year. But we will see. I shall get back on script. I've overstepped my boundaries. <laughs> um, a couple, well, a week and a half ago, we saw Klopp, um, again in that embargoed section, take a slight dig seemingly at the owners, or maybe the, the higher-ups, such as Julian Ward. I'm guessing it's more at the owners in in terms of the finances he kind of um, mentioned or hinted at. And he, he talked about being, he wanted to take a couple more risks, and I don't think he meant Basically slagging off FSG, and he he understands the model we work in. But what 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 did you make of them, Colin? Because I know you you've mentioned our model is very risk averse at times. Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. I mean, one of the things you know we know about Jurgen Klopp is he really doesn't come out and say anything um, that's um, critical in any way about the owners. You know, he'll often praise them. You know, he's not like a Rafa Benitez. He's not like an Antonio Conte that, you know, with managers like that, if they feel that the owners are not spending enough and backing the, them enough in... Or a Scott Parker. <laughs> yeah. Look how that turned out. Right, well. Uh, then, you know, they, they, they are not backwards and coming forwards with stuff like that, whereas Klopp is the opposite. You know, he's very much, you know, if you want to use the phrase company man, you know, he will always try and put on a United front. Um, but, you know, he, he did kind of talk about, he feels that, you know, he would like 
you know, the owners to quote unquote risk a bit more. And that was, you know, in relation to um, transfer activity. And I thought that was very interesting because reading between the lines, that said to me, there was some frustration there. And, you know, I think it was only a week before that, you know, he talked about um, something very similar, which again seemed like a bit of a dig at the owners. Um, you know, basically saying, look, I'm not in charge of making decisions about, you know, how much we spend or mm -hmm. don't spend. Um, and, you know, he normally doesn't say things like that. So um, at the same time, though, he made some contradictory comments as well, you know, saying, look, you know, everyone was right, I was wrong, you know, we needed a midfielder. So reading between the lines for, for that, and also his most recent comments about wanting the owners to take a bit more of a risk. I feel that he was of the view Jude Bellingham was the player he wanted and nobody else after the Chiuameni deal fell through. And he knew that there was a certain figure that would convince Dortmund to do away with, um, rather not do away, but sell Jude Bellingham this summer. And I think that Klopp hoped, maybe expected that the owners would on this occasion, um, spend that little bit more, perhaps pay over the odds to get the player in that Klopp wanted. And I think that alongside all of that, Klopp was saying, look, if I'm not going to get Jude, I don't want anyone else. Don't present in any alternatives to me. So there's huge amounts of talk only, what, three, four weeks ago that, um, you know, we could go for Matthias Nunes. Mm -hmm. um, and there was talk that, you know, he was turning down offers from other clubs because he thought, you know, Liverpool were coming in for him. You know, he wanted to come to Liverpool. And, you know, if you listen to um, more credible sources, they will tell you, look, you know, it was actually Jürgen Klopp himself who turned down that deal. When the player was ready to come, he was willing to come, almost desperate to come. And, you know, that deal didn't happen. And reluctantly... Um, you know, he, he moved into uh, uh, Gag's neighbourhood and uh, joined Wolverhampton Wanderers. And um, that that was a shame. But then with Klopp's later comments about changing his mind, um, I think that suggested that, look, he'd finally admit defeat on trying to get Jude Bellingham in this summer and instead um, felt that, um, yeah, maybe it was right to finally accept that on this occasion, an alternative may have to do, especially in light of the injury situation where, you know, clearly nearly all of our midfielders are made of Pringles. So um, that that was interesting, though, that, you know, he came out with that. And um, I think the owners ultimately won because he didn't get his man. Jude Bellingham didn't join. We didn't go out and spend £100 million plus on the player. And, um, you know, the, old, the owners held firm. And, you know, that drew criticism. There were fans who said, well, look, you know, Jurgen Klopp has delivered so much to these owners. You know, he's won them all these trophies. You know, he's helped uh, play a massive part in increasing the value of Liverpool Football Club. You know, if the owners wanted to sell that club, if you look at the valuation now compared to before he joined, you know, he's easily added one and a half billion to two billion mm -hmm. uh, dollars to the valuation of Liverpool Football Club. Um, so surely the argument was um, they owe him and maybe on this occasion they should 
go above and beyond to get the player for him. But clearly they didn't. Um, and, you know, fans can make their mind up about whether, you know, Klopp, um, you know, deserved that back in or whether the owners were right to hold firm. Um, so I'll let others um, make their minds up about that. Yeah, yeah, it should be certainly interesting. Um, see if Klopp maybe gets a bit more open now he's got his new contract. <laughs> exactly. More power. Um, but there is other halves to... to um, to money spent in terms of transfer because it's not just the transfer fee there is the wage bill as well um you've obviously discussed this on this podcast and you've obviously done your uh, very detailed threads on um twitter as well but th- this is often used as kind of for want of a better word an excuse by by journals and maybe some mouthpieces for the club um that this is the the growth of the wage bill in recent years and obviously we mentioned um the bonuses when we were talking about jude that May have spiraled out of control when, <clears throat> excuse me, when um, we were winning stuff. Um, but now, now we've kind of lost people like Mane and stuff like that. Where where does the wage bill currently stand, and and how has it affected the the windows in the in the last few transfer windows? Yeah, so I mean, if you think back to um, you know summer twenty eighteen, you know we brought in Allison, we brought in Navigator. Uh, we brought in Fabinho, uh, Shakiri, and a few months prior to that, brought in Van Dijk. So, you know, 2018, we saw the club spend a huge amount of money. Um, sure, we we brought in a fair amount of money as well uh, with sale of players, notably Coutinho, um, but there was there was a lot of money spent. Since then, we've not really been spending a great deal. Um, and one of the things I noted on Twitter is that since or well, after 2018. Um, in the in the four years since then, we spent less money than Newcastle United have just in the calendar year 2022. So that just shows the levels of spend relative to not even rivals, but other clubs in the Premier League. Um, now, here's the thing. Um, yes, the wage bill has gone up significantly. You know, if you go back only about six years, uh, the wage bill was just over 200 million. And within a couple of years, it had increased to about 300 million. So 100 million plus increase in the wage bill in the space of a couple of years. And that was largely due to going from being a team that was finishing outside of the top four to becoming a Champions League um, top four team and then becoming a, a Champions League winning team and a Premier League winning team. And by qualifying for the top four, um, the earnings of the players increased significantly. And obviously the fact we were achieving that was because we were winning more, scoring more, keeping more clean sheets, and all of these things come with bonuses as well. So um, go back three summers to the summer of 2019. Um, at the start of that summer, just after we had um, won the uh, Champions League, but come runners-up in the Premier League, uh, John W. Henry made a comment about, you know, he would back um, the club and basically said that, you know, we will spend as a club um, mm-hmm. to go the extra um, and go on to win the Premier League. And yet our marquee signing that window was Seth van der Berg. Um, so, you know, we, we clearly didn't spend much money at all in that window. And at that time, all of the patch journalists were saying, look, the club's priority was to ensure that they retain um, the top players um, rather than to bring in new players. And, you know, again, that 
created huge amounts of fume on Twitter and other social media. Um, the fact that we appeared not to be strengthening um, the squad, you know, we brought in Van der Berg, we brought in Adrian on a free, Andy Lonigan on a free, and um, young Harvey Elliott, who was, um, you know, what, 15, 16 years of age at that point. At, now the marquee side. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we, um, we weren't doing much business then. And, you know, that was frustrating for fans, but the wage bill was pointed to. And, you know, when the accounts were published a few months later, it showed that, you know, the wage bill had increased very, very significantly. So it was, it was a valid argument that, look, you know, because our wage bill had increased so much, that was clearly curtailing the amount we can therefore spend on transfers. Um, but as we now come into 21-22, um, the season just finished a few months back, um, the wage bill wasn't significantly up from 1819. So my estimation is that we perhaps had a wage bill of 350 million, just slightly less than that. Um, but our turnover um, was, uh, I believe, 580 million, might be slightly more than that. And when I benchmarked um, the, the wages relative to turnover for Liverpool compared to big six rivals, it was pretty much on par with other, other clubs around us. So the point being, yes, our wage bill has increased significantly, yet other clubs still manage to spend significantly more on transfers than we do. Um, so I accept the argument for three summers ago um, when we, we spent very little. Um, I, I, I struggle to accept that argument now, um, especially when you look at other clubs who have very significant wage bills and yet manage to find a way to still spend significant amounts in the transfer window. Um, now, you know, there, there are other mitigating factors as well, um, but the wage bill um, for, for me it is increasingly used as an excuse. Um, and, you know, I think people need to look at the full context um, and, you know, certainly look at, by, by full context, it's saying look at other clubs as well. Mm -hmm. Before saying, look, you know, you know, we, we can't possibly afford to spend on transfers because you know most of the money is going on wages. You you need to look at the bigger picture. Yeah, and about that bigger picture, um, maybe another again, one for a better phrase, excuses the investment in infrastructure. We've obviously seen the uh, AXA uh, training center that must have been a few years ago now, uh, and obviously the the stands. Um, with the main stand and the uh, Annie Road stand now, but you, you've mentioned this. This is a potential red herring on, on Twitter. I mean, why, why do you think that is? Yeah. So again, that is one of the uh, reasons given by um, some of our fan base about why we spend relatively little in the transfer window. When you look at net spend, for example, compared to our rivals. Oh, but we're spending on you know growing Anfield we've spent on the on on development of the AXA training centre. But here's the thing. So the main stand was funded by a loan. That loan was provided by FSG. It wasn't their money. It was mm -hmm. money that they borrowed from funders. Um, they then lent that money that they had borrowed onto Liverpool, but at no interest. So um, they incurred interest on their loan um, but then they didn't pass um, any additional interest on when they were transferring that loan from them 
onto Liverpool. Um, but that was a project that was delivered um, over five years ago, you know, at the start of the 2016-17 season. Um, the, the actual stand itself was um, largely open. There was some internal parts of that stand, um, such as changing rooms, which were completed over the subsequent months. Um, and we had aimed as a club to reduce that debt of 110 million by about 20 to 22 million a year. The intention was to pay it off in five years. Um, and between 2017 and 2021, we'd reduced it by, um, I think it was about 47 million pounds. So that stand though, um, certainly since 2021, hadn't received any further reductions. We hadn't paid any more off in, unless we did um, over the season just finished. Um, and if we did, it might have been about another 20 million. Um, the AXA Training Centre cost 56 million pounds. Um, that was delivered, um, I think it was in late 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds uh, right. So, you know, certainly in the season just finished, 21-22, um, none of the 580 million pounds would have had to go towards um, anything towards that um, training facility because that was fully paid out of club generated revenue at the time. So we didn't take out any loans for that. And then we come to the Anfield Road end where we did take out um, a significant loan in uh, 2020 and we retained that through 2021 and I believe into 21-22 for the purposes of um, paying the expansion van, the Annie Road end. Um, so again, for the 580 million that I'm talking about, we shouldn't have had to use much or any of that for the Annie Road end uh, redevelopment. That should have been covered by the loan. So the only thing that potentially um, the 580 million might have gone towards would have been reducing the loan for the main stand. Um, now, it might have been 20 million, might have been slightly more, um, but it would have been there or thereabouts. Now, if you look at Manchester United, for example, their levels of turnover were similar to ours, and they pay their owners dividends. So they take money out of the club, which yeah. our owners don't do. They don't receive a dividend coming out of Liverpool. Um, and that dividend in most years is about 20 million. Mm -hmm. So you see... For me, I, I think it is a red herring because 21-22, um, the only thing that would have caused a bit of a drain on the 508 million in revenue should have been reducing the loan for the main stand. Um, there would have been no expenses incurred for the uh, AXA training facility and should have been nothing um, or hardly anything in relation to the Annie Road end because, as I say, that should have been covered by borrowing. Um, mm -hmm. So, so that's why I simply don't buy that as a reason or as an excuse um, for summer 22. Um, certainly in, in 2020, um, you could argue, yes, um, that was a factor uh, because obviously we were delivering um, a 56 million pound facility in Kirby. But, um, you know, since, since then, um, no, there, there shouldn't have been significant amounts of outlay. And again, you know, when I talk about looking at it in the full context, look at Tottenham Hotspur. 
you know, they built a one billion pound stadium, which opened two or three years ago. And, you know, their loan for that stands at 850 million. Mm. And in the last couple of years, they've been outspending us. And now they, they as, uh, as a club and the owner, uh, Joe Lewis, took the view, let's spread out this loan over a longer period. Whereas FSG's view is, you know, if we take out borrowing to try and repay it as quickly as possible. So the more that you pay towards loans, the less money you then have to spend on other things such as transfers. So again, that's a judgment call. Some fee- people may argue, well, look, why not spread out the loan over a longer payback period um, to then allow more funds to be used on things like transfers or wages or whatever else it might be. Um, FSG take a slightly different view. Um, and again, you know, some people may think that's right. Others may think that's wrong. Yeah, it's certainly interesting in, in well, <laughs> it doesn't really, like really matter to so we just get no money either way. Um, but yeah, um, that's an interesting one. But basically this comes down to what you've been discussing on, on Twitter threads recently more, and that's the club's finances. We obviously have the money. You mentioned our turnover similar to Man United there, and albeit quite deservedly so the Glazers are quite hated but we saw their spend basically panic bought a few players in the last few weeks and I'm not saying we should do stuff like that obviously but the ultimate question then is Mo where's the money where's the money going yeah yeah it's a question that many people are asking um look um the club publishes accounts um for its financial year which is coincides with the season. So their financial year runs from the 1st of June to the 31st of May, which is pretty much in line with the typical season. Um, the latest published set of accounts only relate to the 2020-21 season. So the latest set of accounts that are available um, relate to a season that finished um, some 15 plus months ago. Um, and a lot has happened since then. So. For the season that finished a few months back, 21-22, those accounts won't be available publicly until at least early March. Um, so so that, that's sort of disappointed because, you know, people like me, you know, people like Swiss Ramble and others, let's just somewhat speculate in terms of, well, how much money has come in. So I speculate it's about 580 million of turnover. Um, and we've got to speculate about other things as well in order to try and explain why, for example, Liverpool um, are not spending. Now, I'm absolutely adamant that there, there is money available. And my view is, look, yes, we have spent just slightly more than the money that we brought in from sales of players like Sadio Mane. Um, but what it means is that we will have much more cash um, in the bank as a result of that, which can then be used next summer. Um so, uh, you know, this is not a case of um, the money being siphoned by the owners to then pay for John W. Henry's latest yacht. Yacht um, pants, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or, you know, to go towards the, you know, the um, the Red Sox or their new, um, what they bought recently with uh, Redbird. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, was it? And I think the after, aren't they after a Vegas team or something as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, 
I don't believe that there's any money being siphoned off for any of those kind of pursuits. Um, it will just be a case, and I think that the accounts will sort of reflect this. You know, that there's just more money that's going into the bank because we haven't spent it. And as we discussed earlier, we had every intention of spending it on a player from Monaco, and then he changed his mind. Um, so the money will sit there in the bank. And then, you know, come January transfer window or even the summer one, um, we potentially will be able to use the money then. So um, the point being, we, we've generated a large surplus. Um, I'm sure that the accounts will show that for 21-22. Um, and um, the, the money just adds to available funds for next year. Um, now, the club can, if they choose, and the owners can, choose to reduce the... Um, main stand loan even more with that money which mm -hmm. for me would be a shame um i would prefer them to um save that money for next year because i think that we need yeah. to do a lot of business in the transfer window summer 23 when um you know half our squad will be you know 60 years of age but um, and out of contract <laughs> as well yes yeah. so um you know th th there will be a lot of business to do almost certainly next summer you know we, we can't keep on going from summer to summer only making slight additions to the overall squad um you know whilst players are getting older and older and you know you know they're going out of contract and we know that we've got no fewer than three midfielders um who will be out of contract next summer in oxlade chamberlain uh nabby and uh james milner so, you know, if all three go, and at least two of those three almost certainly will not be kept on, of the three, um, James Milner somehow might find a way of um, remaining for yet another year. He'll outlast uh, Klopp. <laughs> so yeah, we... yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, need, we need somebody to shout at people. So, uh, yeah, he um, might stay. I, I think he'll go, but, you know, it's possible he might stay. But if he goes, that's three midfielders to replace. Um, and um, on top of that, you know, Bobby Firmino is out of contract. Um, you know, so he, he might have to be replaced if he goes, and I think he will. And um, on top of that, um, you know, there were one or two players who might be coming towards the end of their peak. And then we might have to make yeah. a decision about whether we look to bring in people to challenge for their spots or even replace them. You know, Andy Robertson has been, you know, not the player he was in 17, 18, 18, 19. Um, in my view, in my view, he's not been that player for a good couple of years now. I mean, he mm -hmm. has had spells where he's been strong, um, but he, he's been inconsistent. I, I, I think very few people can argue against that. Um, and, he, you know, he is hitting 29 um, over the next 12 months. So, you know, ha have we seen the best of him? And, you know, if we're working towards um, a more proactive kind of business model, is that the right time to move him on whilst he still has value and can still potentially go for, you know, 30, 40 million pounds and then bring in a strong replacement or maybe move Simicas into that role instead, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made and almost certainly a lot of business to do. You know, if we only make two permit signings next summer, um, I dread to think what the state of the squad will be at that point. I, I think that, uh, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, Jurgen Klopp, Julian Ward, know all of this they, they, they don't need you know people like me to spell it out for them but they'll know it far far better than i or anyone else you know on social media or podcasts um 
will will know about the situation. So they'll be fully aware, and you know they they know that you know the kind of intensity, the dynamism that we expect of a Liverpool side um, when half your squad is thirty year older, um, it, it becomes increasingly difficult to maintain that with, with that kind of age profile. So almost certainly we will have no option but to do business, even if. Jürgen Klopp's natural inclinations might be to cling on to players, um, but I, I think, you know, his his head will have to overrule his heart, and uh, he'll reluctantly, um, you know, see see some of those players move on. Yeah, Jude, Jude Bellingham's clearly is a not Jude Bellingham, Milner, Milner, maybe Henderson, who's his Moby Dick, his white whale. He has to fight them off before he can sign other players. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, it should be interesting when we get the accounts in uh, spring next year, as you say, and could answer a couple of these questions. Um, but if we look outwards for, for the next few questions, I mean, obviously everyone's looked at our summer and went, well, what we've just discussed, really. But probably the most interesting team to look at is, is probably Chelsea, because, well, new orders, we don't have loads of information on them. Even um, Todd Bowley, I think he was with the LA Dodgers and stuff like that. Um, so not a huge amount of information. Or certainly I've not seen loads of information on him. Um, but they've spent 250 mil, a net of about 200 mil. Um, whereas when he first came into the club, apparently he was a fan of our model. This is not our model, more. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously... <clears throat> Replacing Roman Abramovich, maybe he just wanted to make a splash. But how, how did they manage this? Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that you know they weren't even allowed to sell hot dogs in the stadium and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and um, you know they they were wor- worried about where you know e- even having to fly, you know economy class on flights and stuff you know they, they were mm. um in a real predicament and when this new owner and his consortium came in you know he was very much making noises to suggest that um what he wanted to put in place was a more sustainable model similar to that operated by fsg with liverpool um and to an extent um by the Cronkies at arsenal and yet on the evidence of this transfer window, he's done the complete opposite. You know, he spent money that he doesn't have um, as a, in terms of his wealth. I, I believe um, he alone um, is, is not even as wealthy as John W. Henry. Um, and uh, I, I think that what has happened here is that he has actually managed to bring in very wealthy people into his consortium because he hasn't come into this on his own, bear in mind. Yeah. Um, it's, consortium headed by Todd Bowley. And one of the um, parties that are involved in this consortium is is a group called Clear Lake. Now, Clear Lake has an investor um, that happens to be um, the uh, investment fund operated by Saudi Arabia, of all people. Oh, God. Not again. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is what I think has happened. I think that um Clear Lake and one part of Clear Lake being the Saudi Arabian um HIF have actually helped finance 
all of this. Now, that does open up a whole can of worms because they are also involved in the ownership of Newcastle United. So I think the Premier League needs to perhaps take a close look at this because, um, you know, it does go against various rules that, you know, ownership groups can't own more than one uh, Premier League club, as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Um, That's certainly problematic, you know, when it comes to European competition. Um, and that was part of the reason why um, RB Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg um, had to make a bit of a distinction. I think RB Leipzig, um, who used to be known as Red Bull Leipzig, um, had to take on officially a slightly different ownership structure yeah. to differentiate themselves from Red Bull Salzburg. Um, so I don't know if that will have to happen here in the same way. Um, but it appears, I mean, I could be wrong, but it appears that the 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 the, the roots of this money that Chelsea have managed to find to fund a quarter of a billion pounds worth of uh, deals, um, that those roots stem from Saudi Arabia. So that is not good news for those of us fans who were hope, hoping that Chelsea's days of massive spending were over. Um, if anything, it might appear that you know the spending will only ramp up. Um, so, so that is cause for concern, um, especially when you look at you know as I know Newcastle United, um, who has its ownership um, firmly rooted in Saudi Arabia, um, have spent as I noted earlier um, very, very, very significant amounts of money, um, you know, in the calendar year of 2022. So. You know, when clubs like that continue to spend 200 million plus a year or a season, um, whilst we spend a lot less. Um, how, how how much longer does that remain sustainable for us in terms of being at the top table? Um, and, and of course, it's not just about spending money. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen with Manchester United. You know, you can spend more money than anyone, and yet still be a complete and uh, um, shambles of a club if your transfer strategy um, is like playing darts blindfolded, um, then, you know, it will be very, very um, hit and miss and, you know, more often than not a miss. And we've seen that with United over the last close to 10 years since Ferguson retired. So, you know, it's not all about money, but there generally is a trend between the amount of money you spend and Mm -hmm. success you have on the pitch. And so... um, that is why I'm really hopeful that next summer will be the year where we do go big in the transfer market because you know we we have a squad that I don't think can carry on maintaining the levels it has achieved in the last three or four years for all that much longer. Yeah, that's the thing. We used to be the smartest person in the room, uh, and that can make up for it. But now you've got Chelsea, who I think are a bit Man United-ish this summer, but they don't have any footballing operations at the min, so that could change. United don't really have football operations, so that that should go on for a while, but yeah, eventually they will either learn or they will blind luck their way to success, and that's the uh, that's the worry, isn't it? Oh yeah, it is, yeah, totally. Um, But we've mentioned Man United there, they've obviously well, they almost didn't spend an awful lot, but in the last, last couple of weeks they went a bit mental. Um, 
you've mentioned we have we have similar turnover, and I, I kind of alluded to it. We have like basically chalk and cheese ways of running in the club. Um, so how how did they manage this? What was it? Was it ninety odd million or eighty odd million or sixty odd million? I think it was actually in Casemiro. The Anthony deal's funny, um, and the Martinez deal wasn't cheap either. So, so what have you? Uh, how 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 did they manage this this summer? Right. So, with Man United, um, complete basket case of a club, um, just so poorly run. It's like a, an example of how not to run a football club. But nonetheless. They somehow managed to attract, you know, um, top players. And they, in the end, managed to attract two or three. Um, so Anthony was one that, you know, a lot of our fans at various points over the last two or three months uh, were getting slightly excited about when there were one or two slightly less credible rumours coming out mm. that oh, maybe we were possibly in for him or were interested in him. Um but uh, we would never, ever going to be spending the kind of money that Manchester United have. They are spending a guaranteed 95 million euros, which equates to ooh, uh, about 80 million pounds um, with 5 million worth of add-ons. Um, and, and that's for a player that's probably worth about half as much. Um, if that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and, and that was... Clearly, a signing driven by the manager. Um, you know, he worked with him at Ajax, and you know that was one of the clear flaws I feel in Manchester United's um, latest transfer window, in that they gave too much weight to what the owner, what the manager wanted, rather. Um, and you know, we, we as a club at Liverpool operate in a slightly different way. Yes, uh, the manager has a say um, in who we do eventually sign. Um, but a lot of the groundwork is done by, you know, the, the kind of laptop geeks, um, you know, so Julian Ward, Ian, Dr. Ian Graham um, and his his team of super geniuses. And they will present, you know, the data, the vast amount of data and everything else to Klopp. Um, and, and that usually works pretty well. Whereas in this window, anyone with any kind of association or link to Ajax seem to be um, the preference for Eric Ten Hag and yeah. uh, transfer people were dictated to a large extent by that. Uh, the only real exceptions were Casemiro and uh, Malassia. So, yeah, I mean, they, they have generated, as you noted, similar levels of turnover to us for 21 um, 22. Their will be published, published much sooner than ours, so they should be out in the next four weeks. So we'll know exactly how much they generated. Their net spend was over 200 million, though. Their only real sale was Andres Pereira to Fulham uh, for less than 10 million. Um, there was a loan for Eric Bailly, who went out to Marseille, um, and that was it. So over 200 million net spend uh, against us having a net spend of 6 million, um, despite virtually identical levels of turnover and their wage bill being probably 30 million, 40 million pounds more than ours. Um, and on top Oof. of that, paying out dividends of 10 to 20 million um, to uh, the Glazer family. So, must be paid out manager manager compensation as well, still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, manager compensation, which again would have been significant 10, 15 million to 
uh, Solskjaer and his coach and some of his coaches. So um, despite all of those costs that they've had and they've incurred, they still managed to find a couple hundred mil um, to spend um, on players. Um, and, you know, as we've noted, you know, it's all in instalments. So in real terms, that might have been anywhere from 70 million to maybe 100 million that they would have had to find. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that is not money that comes from the owners. They, like uh, FSG, do not put their own money into the club. Um, so instead, what United would have done were, would have been to use club-generated revenue plus um, cash that was in the bank. So they had a, a fair chunk of cash in bank. Um, they took out a loan last, sorry, uh, when was this? 2021 of 60 million pounds. Um, and I think that they utilized that to fund um, some of this transfer um, activity along with um, club generated revenue from you know, match day, um, TV money, um, commercial, et cetera. So they, they managed to find a way is the point. And, you know, in the same way, you know, if we wanted to spend, um, ha- end up with a couple hundred million transfer um, net spend, um, we, we could have found a way. But, you know, we, we operate in a more risk-averse way, um, whereas um, the Glazers, despite not putting in their own money into United, um, are still a bit more open about how, how deals are financed and funded, um, hence why they were able to fund um, deals to that extent. Yeah, it's certainly interesting, especially now that because the the excuse used to be always they just printed money. <clears throat> Whereas if we've caught up, it, it, it's going to be interesting how that comparison grows in the next couple of years. It's probably the wrong word, but we'll move on anyway. Um, but it's not just about Man United and Chelsea. We do have other rivals. Um, let's go through some of these. Man City. I believe they made money in the transfer market under this season. Obviously, the wage bill is a different story with whatever the hell Haaland's on, but they've had a un-Manchester City-like summer, that's probably how you'd word it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what they, interestingly, have started to do is try and copy the Chelsea model because, you know, Chelsea's habit has been to sign, um, you know, a zillion players and loan most of them out. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, when they've decided, right, it's time to move them on, they, as a club, have generated more from player sales than any other Premier League club over the last few years. And what Man City have tried to do is to try and replicate that um, in the last couple of seasons. So up until a couple of years ago, their net spend was very significant, whereas um, last summer or last season even, they, they sold about £85 million worth of players. And um, in this most recent um, summer, they've sold nearly £150 million worth of players. So Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, uh, Zinchenko, um, amongst the big sales. Um, And and as you noted, um, their sales actually exceeded um, the amount of outlay on transfer fees. So Haaland was obviously the biggest. Um, Calvin Phillips from Leeds also was a significant fee um, but some of their other deals um, were um, you know, relatively small so they ended up spending less than they actually brought in from sales and um, you know that they may well look to do the same um, next summer so you know we often hear about how um, you know, when uh, 
our previous laptop geek, um, Michael Edwards, that was out of the club. The term, um, you know, with how Edwards had pulled off a masterstroke in a masterclass um, whenever he'd sell a player. Um, but you know, if you look at you know some of the fees that have been achieved by Man City and Chelsea, um, that they're even more impressive. And uh, yeah, that they certainly did really well and to kind of generate the amount of money that they did. And, you know, had they had Barcelona rather been able to generate the funds, um, they would have brought, uh, sorry, bought even Bernardo Silva and sales for Man City for this summer would have been in the region of about 220 to 230 million. And Bernardo Silva would have gone for about 70 to 80 million to Barca had they been able to yeah. sort out their finances in time, which they weren't able to. And, uh, you know, the player was definitely disappointed because I think it was only a couple of weeks ago. I remember him, you know, waving goodbye to, um, you know, the fans at the empty hat. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, he felt he was on his way. Um, but clearly, um, Barca just weren't able to make the numbers stack up. And, uh, so he remains for another season. I, I think almost inevitably he will go next summer. Um, he's been wanting out from City for um, a couple of years now. Um, so I think, you know, he'll give him this final season and be on his way then. Um, but yeah, very, very, very significant funds uh, generated by them. And then just very quickly, um, Tottenham had another big um, kind of transfer window in terms of spend. Um, so they spent over 150 million they brought in about 35 so net spend was about 115 um, their notable signings were richarlison is it is that how you pronounce his name um i always go charlison charlison yeah yeah um my, my preferred title is dickhead but um <laughs> yeah, absolutely right yeah. uh Kristen romero eve basuma um, a couple of others so you know as i noted before you know they spent a huge 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 amount of money on that amazing looking stadium and yet you know they've still gone out and um, spent this money now the way they've done this is that they actually had 110 million pounds come in from the owner so the owner joe lewis who normally doesn't put any of his money into tottenham hotspur took out a loan um and then put it into the club as um, uh, equity and so he basically has increased um, his um, shareholding in the club um, as a result of that and the reason he did that is because he and uh, Daniel Levy both knew that were they not generating or making free funds to spend in the transfer window Conte would have walked he would have gone because that's yeah. the kind of thing he is so uh, and even by the end of this window despite spending 150 plus million um, the manager still wasn't happy. He was still moaning a little bit um, uh, the other day. So, you know, that that's just Antonio Conte for you. But the point being, um, even uh, Joe Lewis, the owner who's never put money into that club, um, found a way to put some money into Tottenham Hotspur in order to finance um, transfer deals. And then finally, Arsenal um, had yet another summer of big, big spend, um, a net spend of about 90 well, close to 100 million, you know, notable signings being Gabriel Jesus, Fabio Vieira, uh, Zinchenko, as we talked about earlier on. Um, but 
Arsenal fans were still fuming yesterday. They were saying, why didn't we sign another midfielder? Why didn't we sign one or two more players? Um, they were unhappy. And uh, nonetheless, they had a very big net spend. Um, and, you know, they had a very big net spend last summer as well. And that was um, about 120 million plus last summer. And that is despite the fact that their levels of turnover are way, way, way below ours. Their turnover for 21-22 would have been in the region of about £180 million less than ours, and yet they still outspent us significantly. Um, now, part of the reason for that is, as a club in the Arsene, Arsene Wenger days, they did um, generate significant amounts of cash that was being put away in the bank. So at one point, they had th literally £300 million sat in the bank, and even up until a couple of years ago, that was down to about £200 million and they've been using that money in the last several years to finance all of these transfer dealings. Um, so that's why, despite the lack of Champions League football, we've seen Arsenal spend a lot of money um, in, in, in transfer windows over the last few years in an effort to get back into the Champions League. It's the money that had been sat there in the bank under the Arsene days, who, um, as a manager, was almost treating it as his own money and was very reluctant to spend it. Uh, but they've been spending it now, and that money is almost uh, almost all spent now. So I think unless they achieve significant sales next summer and they don't get Champions League football, um, it's almost impossible for them to be able to maintain another transfer window um, next summer where they can spend the amounts of money that they have in the last two or three so Arsenal's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye on if the money has dried up, if they don't get Champions League. Um, fire sale at Arsenal? Sack it to Liverpool? Who knows? <laughs> um, never know. Yeah, all of them. All of them will do. Um, but that's it for what, you, what you've um, written up for me. Mo, is there anything else you want to discuss before we go? I mean, I, th I think that... Um... You know, there, there's obviously some frustration. It's slightly muted frustration because we did manage to get a player in. Um, and I, I just found it really funny that the club briefed all the local journalists yeah. about loan deal to say there's definitely no option to buy. So all the journalists at 10 o'clock uh, last night um, put out there that, look, it's um, a loan deal, but with no option to buy. Only for minutes later, Juventus to put out a press release um, and but bear in mind, Juventus are floated on the Italian stock exchange, so they've got to have a greater deal of financial transparency. Mm -hmm. Their press release they contradicted Liverpool Football Club and said actually uh, there is an option to buy, and that fee, um, if that is invoked, will be for the tune of 37 million euros, um, which equates to uh, just over 30 million pounds. Um, so it was not a good look for Liverpool um, to just lie and I very really odd understand. wasn't it i didn't understand why they do that when they should know even with a little bit of research that for every deal um juventus are involved in they have to release and they do release all the details about you know transfer fees and other associated fees as well um so it was, it was not a good look i mean it's not it's not a major deal but it just seemed like a needless thing to do and it made some of these patch journalists look a bit stupid and some of them did, in fairness, then retract their earliest tweets and statements to say, look, in fact, despite what we were told, um, there actually, it turns out, there was an option to buy. And that might not be a bad thing, because if, if Arthur 
um, or Artur, however you pronounce his name, um, turns out to be a really good signing and plays well for us this season, um, the option to buy, you know, 30 million might be an absolute bargain come summer next year. So I'm, I'm glad that, that that's in place. And, um, you know, it might help ease um, some of the business we need to do next summer, as we talked about, when, you know, we're going to have to recruit, uh, you know, half a midfield squad pretty much. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and to be fair, we've seen in the in the past these options. Sometimes you can even get a cheaper deal. I think Barcelona, the option for Coutinho was like thirty five mil, wasn't it? And I think Villa got him for about half that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's not not as set in stone as probably once was. Um, but I think we will finish up there then. More. Um, thank you letting me host you <laughs> um, uh, but thank you everyone for listening uh, when have you got another show plo- uh, uh, another show planned more if I can get my words out there um, not at this stage um, but I, I would like to um, perhaps just focus in on um, perhaps the most craziest of all of the football clubs when it comes to football finance and that's Barcelona um, so if I can find a suitable guest to um, just, you know, really have a close look at that. Um, then I'll try and make that happen in the coming weeks uh, before possibly the, uh, or during the um, upcoming international break. Beautiful. I think everyone, everyone would be interested just to how the hell they bought all their players. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be, that'll certainly be interesting if we can get that show together. Um, But thank you everyone for listening, as I said, and goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds. And it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.